0: Hi, welcome to Living Water Bible Fellowship's audio sermons. It's our prayer and hope that you'll be encouraged and uplifted by the preaching of God's Word. Stick around after the message to hear more about how to contact us. Well, amen. uh... We often
1: in our culture, like other cultures, sometimes we wonder who's the greatest or how do we become great. And Jesus, today, in a, in a teaching to his disciples, he's going to teach them how greatness looks. Uh, I've been following the NBA for a while, for a lot of years. It's been a, kind of a joy to watch. Uh, over the last few years, with some of the politics getting involved in the NBA, it's been harder. But uh, lately, I've been watching the MVP race. I don't know if that's uh, something you're interested in or something that's kind of uh, something you watch, but it's kind of fun to, to see all the people's opinions about who's great, right? Who's on top? Who's the best, most valuable player? We're coming to the end of the regular season, and so they always vote on it. And we got a guy from Denver who's one of the leading candidates. There's a guy from Milwaukee. There's a guy from uh, Philadelphia. And so they're, who's going to be the greatest? But the wild thing about MVP, the wild thing about greatest in the world, how do you count it? How do you measure it? How do you quantify it? How do you clarify it, right? So a lot of people are irritated at the MVP race and the NBA because there's not a clear definition. Is it like, who's the most dominant player? Who's the best player? Who has the best statistics? And which statistics? Is it the most wins? Nobody really knows. So it's frustrating for a lot of people, who's the MVP? Who's the greatest? Uh, we, uh, We tend to measure ourselves sometimes by others. We tend to look at ourselves sometimes and we think, maybe in our pride and our arrogance, hmm, maybe I'm better than him, or I'm better than her. Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest in the realm of discipleship? Who's great in following Jesus Christ? And what does it look like? We hear Jesus' is teaching today on this matter. The greatest serves. Please open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 30, uh, chapter 9. Verse 30, please. Mark chapter 9, verse 30. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. He did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Whoever receives me receives me, not, not me, but him who sent me. And God bless the reading of his word. And so uh, last week we took a turn. We left uh, Jesus's, uh, in Mark's gospel, his teaching ministry. And with Easter coming, I decided it would be good for us to look at uh, his, his, leaving his public ministry behind and, and maybe focus on this time when he's very intensely moving towards the cross. And, and he's focused on a teaching ministry. He, he wanted to keep away from the crowds. He didn't want to be focused on them anymore because he knew his time was short. And so he focused on his disciples. He was going away, and he had to really, really narrow his, his focus to them to make sure they were lined out and under, understanding what he wanted from them after he left, after he ascended to heaven. And so he's, he's, he's traveling through uh, the isolated regions in Galilee. Um, he, he keeps bringing up this subject because they're not, they're not understanding. They're not getting it. They're not, they're not grasping it. He keeps telling them again and again that you guys don't understand. I, I, I'm, I'm going to die soon. I'm, I'm going to be killed soon. And, and you remember last week how Peter said, no, that can't be right. And speaking for the 12, he rebuked Jesus. No, that can't be right. You can't be going to your death. That's not the plan. That's not the story. That's not the narrative we learned since we, we were children. We've been taught that the kingdom is coming in glory, that the Messiah is going to get rid of all of our enemies and destroy all wickedness, and he's going to make Israel great again. That's, you know, you're, you're not going to die. A Messiah doesn't die. Messiah reigns, and Messiah rules, and he's the king. Get that out of your mind, Jesus. But he, So he had to rebuke Peter and said, no... You, Man, stop thinking that way. Yeah, you're thinking about the glory to come. You're thinking about, yeah, there is a, a time in the future when the messianic kingdom, when I come back from glory, when I set up my reign and my rule upon the earth. Certainly, there's a time that that's going to happen. But not yet. Uh, as the Bible unfolds, as the progressive revelation comes to us in, in wider and wider understandings, we realize there's a church age before the end. Realize that there's a time when the gospel is meant to be spread throughout all the nations and all the regions of the earth before Jesus comes back. He's patient, wanting everyone to come to repentance. He's patient, hoping the gospel will be heard there and there and there, and then people will turn and be saved before the end. The timing isn't, their timing isn't right. It's not on on God's timeline. And so he has to teach him again and again. He says, listen to me, the Son of Man is going to be delivered uh, it's a little bit different from last week's uh, uh, revelation or understanding about his death. Uh, I said, I, last week he said, I'm going to suffer many things. I'm going to be delivered, you know, uh, in, in the sense of being rejected by the chief priests, the scribes, the elders. I'm going to be killed. This one is, is, some of your translations say, I'm going to be betrayed. And that's an appropriate translation. Uh, but the, the emphasis is more on being delivered over. Uh, It's not Judas delivering him over to the hands of men, to his enemies. It's it's actually God. Jesus is talking about the plan of God being implemented and the plan of God being played out. God is going to deliver me over to those who would kill me. It, 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 Jesus is operating by faith. He knows the plan. He knows God's, uh, God's mission. He, you know, in the Trinitarian unity of, of coming in the eternity past and deciding how to play out uh, time and space and creation. They already made the decision long ago to send Jesus. And, and so he knows what's going to happen. He knows what's going to take place. And, and he, he just needs to convince the disciples that this is going to take place. So what an amazing thing. Uh, He says, I'm going to be killed, and uh, I'm going to rise three days later. Now, some people have been troubled before when they say three days later. Because right? if he died on the Friday, three days later, Saturday, Sunday, Monday kind of thing. But the Jewish understanding, there's a guy here a few years ago, man, he was always grilling me every Easter. What about three days? Three literal 24-hour days. But he didn't understand the Jewish way of counting or reckoning time. That you could take a, a partial, a part of a day, and count it as a full 24-hour period in the, in the Jewish way of thinking. So three days, after three days, or three days later, is basically the day after tomorrow. It can be understood that way, day after tomorrow. So he died on a, on a Friday and, and was raised on a Sunday. So he's making an amazing prophecy, an amazing, amazing prediction of what's going to happen to him. It, it, and really, when you step back and you think about, wow, he, he knew he was going to die, he predicted his death, and then he predicted the day he was going to rise again from the dead. Who does that? Well, well God does. Right? And so Mark, again, is putting this before us, his readers, to realize how, that Jesus is God, and he's, he's all all-knowing and all-powerful, that we'd worship him. But uh, the disciples, they're, they're like, whoa, hold on. Um, he, Jesus doesn't explain here uh, exactly why he's going to the cross, uh, he, why he's going to die, why he's going to be killed. Uh, obviously, we, we read in, in Titus in, uh, earlier today during the communion service, he did it to redeem us, to purchase our freedom. Other, other, other scriptures talk about how he did it to reconcile us to God, to, to remove the barrier of our sin. Uh, to cleanse us from our sin and our, our guilt and our shame so that we could be in harmony and union with God again, be in community with Him again. The, the forgiveness of sins, He's doing that all to save us, to bring us to God. But the disciples don't understand. They, 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 they didn't understand the saying, and they're afraid to ask Him. <laughs> like, it wasn't in, their, it wasn't in their, their wheelhouse. It wasn't something they could understand. Like, no, you're not going to die, and they, they kind of refused to understand, and so they didn't even ask. You know, maybe if they threw it out there, if they came and they told, they share their true heart, Jesus would, uh, you know, like he rebuked Simon. Maybe they're afraid that he's going to rebuke them. I'm not sure. But but the teaching he wants to communicate, it's not happening because of their hard heartedness and their stubbornness to believe the truth. The truth is right there. The future is right there, but they just don't want to take it in and receive it and, and live it out quite yet. So the the, the 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 story is, the picture is, as we get to chapter eight, as we looked last week, Jesus is moving uh, around northern Israel. And last week he took him to Caesarea Philippi. He took him to a place, remember last week where we took him outside of, of the kind of outside of the valley, so to speak. <laughs> Have you ever felt like sometimes you just need to leave the San Luis Valley and just get over the hill to get some perspective? Right? Some people never leave the other San Luis Valley, and they don't—they don't know what's out there, and that's probably okay in some ways. But but Jesus felt like he had to get him out of out of Galilee, you know, a 20 by 40 mile uh, area. And he took him to Caesarea Philippi to see all the different shrines that people worshipped, all the different gods that people worshipped, and there he asked him, "Who do you say I am?" And you know, the Messiah. He wanted them to, to verbalize that so he could clarify it and teach them. Um, so he's traveling around different places and he's trying to bring clarity. He's moving through, moving through different places, but the, 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 the place, the bullseye, the target is Jerusalem. And, and the funny thing about the way this is laid out is, is, did you see what they were talking about when, ironically, Jesus is going as a servant to die on the cross for them? He's going to give his life away in love. Love, love never fails. Never, never fails. He's, he's going to give his life away for them, and, and while they're on the way, what are they talking about? <laughs> their fulfillment, their glory. And, and again, think about their mindset. They're thinking that, that immediately soon in the coming weeks or months, Jesus, even though they hear him talking about his death, they don't believe it. They don't, they don't accept it. They're like, nah, he's going to be king. man. And, and when he's king, we're going to be his statesmen. We're going to be his representatives. We're going to be his, his congress. We're going to be his leaders, his generals, whatever. So they, they just got this mindset. He's going he's to rise up and be this king of glory. He's going to raise Israel up to a great status, a great place. And they're going to be right there as his right-hand men. And so they're talking about their status. They're talking about their rank. Isn't it ironic that the servant is going to die for them and they're talking about how great they are? Can you imagine that conversation with the twelve? Can you imagine the pride and arrogance there as they looked at their statistics? Like Peter, he's like, oh man, you guys, you guys, you're you're terrible speakers. I'm a great speaker. I'm probably the greatest of the twelve. Right? And maybe someone else chipped in, well, Peter, um, you might be a great speaker, but I'm a great prayer. I'm the best prayer of the 12. Someone else might chip in, I'm the most pious. And Jesus knows I'm, I'm the most pious of the group. I, I love God more than anybody else here. You know, and, and maybe they start really getting in statistics, well, how many people have you healed? I've got a 70% sex success rate uh, for my praying. I, I've, healed, I, I've healed 18 people in the last week. How many people have you healed? 17. I must be the greatest. Then someone else chimes in. Oh man, you guys, how many people, how how many demons have you cast out? I'm the top of the list. I have the highest rank. I'm the best. <clears throat> Isn't it interesting how cultures differ, how different cultures value different things? Historians tell us that the Jewish culture, this was a big deal. Like, we're, was this just a dysfunctional group of guys that were just braggarts and, and full of themselves? No, the, the Jewish culture that they came from, it was a big deal to establish rank. It was a big deal. Wherever you went, uh, whatever setting you were in, in, in governmental settings or religious settings, it was a theocracy, so they were kind of mixed, but wherever you went, you always had to establish your Pecking order. You always had to establish your rank. Like, where do you sit at the table? Do you sit at the front or do you sit at the end? Jesus had a parable about that, if you remember. Uh, he's a, a, approaching the culture in a certain way. Uh, who, who do you pay honor to? Who do you pay homage to? Who pays honor to you? Who respects you? Who do you respect? For whatever reason, in that culture, it was a big deal. They were always ranking one another, always putting one another in a certain status. And, and, and coming from the culture they did, they, they brought it into their discipleship to Jesus. Our culture, of course, it's different. We're a consumer culture. We're, we're always thinking, whether you, whether you realize it or not, we're always looking for the best deals. We're always looking for the most bang for the buck. We're always looking for what uh, comforts us and, and lifts us up uh, for the least amount of cost. Or, what helps us in our life for the least amount of outlay or outpay? And so, we, every culture is a little bit different. They have their emphases. But here's, here's this culture, you know, rank is very important. And so, they brought that in there. Ah. Who's going to be the MVP of the 12? I wonder who the MVP of Living Water Bible Fellowship is. Come on, raise your hands. Who's the greatest here? What criteria are you using today? Are you using Jesus's criteria to establish if you're on the right track or not? Uh, Are you looking at yourself from a worldly perspective and seeing your behaviors and your way you're living from a worldly point of view? In our culture, we establish greatness by wealth oftentimes or by Power, or we establish greatness by our freedom—that we can go golfing anytime we want, or we can go fishing anytime we want. We establish great, greatness sometimes through sports. Oh, look at the trophies on my wall! You know, we establish greatness in, in a, a variety of different ways. Great business people—they close the deals—or you know, you just can go on and on about greatness. We have different standards. The greatness in Jesus' realm, ultimately, greatness in the kingdom of God, is not what. Uh, humanity says is great, or MVP-ish. So Jesus is hearing. Uh, uh, they they they're, they're traveling, and, and as they're traveling, he's out in front. They're walking in his dust. He's the rabbi. He's the teacher. He's the leader. He's the Lord. They're walking behind him, and he's hearing. He's hearing them talking in the background, and and he just he's, you got to think he's just shaking his head. There's going to be a lesson later. So they get back to Capernaum, and we think they're in Simon and Andrew's house again. That seems to be the place they camped out whenever they went to Capernaum. Jesus didn't own his own house or whatever. He had no place to lay his head, but it seemed like Capernaum and Simon and Andrew's house was a place that they they made home. So they got got alone, they got private, and he says, Hey guys, when we were on the way, tell me, what were you talking about? I'm, re- I'm really curious. What, what were you arguing about? You see, they weren't just trying to, you know, like, you know, be kind to one another. They were bragging and boasting. I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest. Isn't this ridiculous? In the midst of Jesus Christ? But here we are as people. We're all, we're all just people, and we've been... Enculturated in different ways. We become sinners in different ways. We have different uh, things that we emphasize that lift up that's, that's ungodly. So here these guys are. They're, they're arguing and, and uh, he says, uh, hmm, uh, uh, we, uh, uh, no, no one admitted it. They probably hemmed and hawed, but they were silent. No one admitted it. That they were arguing on the way about who was greatest. So he says, hey guys, time for a powwow. It's time for a talk. And so he, he takes off his, his uh, you know, discipleship hat, so to speak. He puts on his coach hat. Uh, he sat down, verse 35, and called the twelve. So he takes the official rabbinical position of sitting amongst people standing. He sits down while they're standing around him. It's an official moment of teaching. He said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. The word there for servant, diakonos, it's uh, our word for deacon. It's uh, translated different places as servant or deacon, but here at Living Water, many churches, there's a deacon board or a, a group of deacons, and their task is to serve. In different churches, there's different play- ways that's played out. Uh, some churches have a, a big deacon board where they cut the grass, they paint the walls. Uh, in our church, we've tried to emphasize deacons as, as calling people, uh, checking up on people, making sure physical needs are met. And by the way, if you get a call from a deacon or you get an email from a deacon, would you please respond to that? Because we've tasked these deacons, if you're a member of the church, to kind of watch over you and pray for you, and, and they want to hear from you. And so when they reach out to you, as, as they often do, sometimes they, they, they never hear anybody respond, like, how are you doing? I want to pray for you. And our, our deacons, our servants in this church, they, they want to hear back from you so they can be praying. If you have physical needs or if you have issues in your life, them and their wife will come and maybe serve you and, and help you as if, if they can. Or, or, they'll, or they'll call Pastor Jeron and, and say, hey, Jeron, you better go uh, hang out with this person and see how you can minister. So deacons... He says, if you want to be great, you want to have f- first place in the kingdom of God, <laughs> all that worldly cri- he turns the worldly criteria on its head. He overthrows it. The greatest in the coming kingdom, in Jesus' estimation, in the Father's estimation, the, the ones who deserve first place are those who in this realm, in this age, in this time, are those who serve people. Who uh, make themselves intentionally? It, it's, uh, they're not doulos, they're not slaves. They're diaconos, the they, they are they're those who are uh, intentionally choosing to serve. Doulos are slaves that that's, that, that have to serve at their master's bequest. But deacons go out willingly and, and they desire to serve. And and we uh, as a people are called to be great, great in serving one another. And boy, again, from my vantage point as pastors, I hear stories and I, and I see how people live and I, I hear how people have served one another. I'm so grateful that there's so many servants in this church. I would say we have a lot of MVPs. And praise God for that. How people behind the scenes are, are helping each other financially or people behind the scenes are praying for one another. A great way you can serve someone is to pray for them Bring them before the throne of grace to intercede for them. I, I, I'm so happy that there's so many people behind the scenes that are praying and loving people in that way. Uh, meeting people's needs comes in so many different varieties, uh, so many different uh, uh, styles, and you know it could be you're a guy who loves or a gal who loves to help people fix their vehicles. Uh, you're you're somebody that uh, loves to uh, take care of help people take care of their pets. I don't know. Uh, there's a hundred different ways it could play out. But the disciples, as they were walking with Jesus, their first inclination wasn't to serve. Their, their hearts, uh, of hearts, they wanted to be served. They wanted to be honored. They wanted to be glorified. <clears throat> and so it was, it was a transition. It was a, a time of learning and discovering new ways of living and, and being. But, but God says, if you want to be first, make yourself last. which is, is rather, rather radical in a consumer culture. What? Make yourself a servant of all. <clears throat> Wouldn't it be great to be part of a society where people are serving each other instead of grasping for things for themselves? We saw last week that Jesus, when he said, if anyone wants to follow me, he, it's a, another side of this coin, he says, you must deny yourself. Self-denial... <clears throat> along with this kind of servant mentality is uh, I, I would like to be first. I would like to be the center of people's universe. I, I would like to be praised. I would like to be exalted among people, but to self denies is I, I, I won't go there. I, I'm called to be a servant. Very much along the lines, if you're taking notes, you can, you can write down Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses one through 1 through 10 or 11 there. Jesus uh, served and if the son of God the creator of heaven and earth came down to us and uh, he served us we who say we are followers of Jesus Christ certainly we want to have our lives display Jesus's values and Jesus's characteristics To be a Christian means we are following in His steps. We are living by His patterns and His styles and His ways. And what does it mean for you and I to serve? Wouldn't it be great to be a a part of a church, part of a community group, part of a Bible study where people's first intention is to glorify God and serve one another? That's uh, Jesus' great commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor... As yourself. Really, when he calls people to be servants, when he calls us to serve, it's an application of love. What is love? This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Love is uh, seeking someone's benefit, love is seeking someone's blessing. Love is seeking someone's welfare. Love, love, never fails. Uh, love is, is this passionate pursuit of someone else's building up. Love to talk about this in premarital counseling. Love to talk about this with couples that are going through hard times. Is uh, Are you loving one another? Not that you have the emotions and the feelings and, and the, you know, the, the, the warm fuzzies all the time, but are you loving your spouse? Are you serving your spouse? Are you bringing out the best in your spouse, seeking to bring, bring what's good into their life? Uh, to build them up, it's love. That's, that's servanthood. It's an incredible thing. And Jesus has an illustration right away here, uh, verse thirty-six. If, if they're still confused. They're they're not exactly sure what he means. You know, their their mindset is we're going to be on top of the of Israel. We're your right-hand men. We're going to be your generals, your colonels. We're going to be your administrators. Jesus says, no, slow down. You're going to be servants. You're there for the benefit of others. And it's kind of like this, verse 36. He took a child and put him in the midst of them. And ta- taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Now, uh, boy, I wrestled with this a lot this week. There's a couple different uh, possible interpretations of this. The first one is, as you, and the key to understanding either interpretation is this. They looked at children much differently than we look at children in our society. Uh, We might have opinions in our society right now, who's the lowest of the low in our society? You might have an opinion, a certain kind of person might come to your mind right away. But in the Jewish world and the Greco-Roman world of the first century, children were the lowest. Children were the nobodies, children were the the ones that you uh, didn't pay attention to. If a first century person came to the United States of America and they walked around in our homes and they saw these pictures on the wall uh, of children, they'd be shocked. You're idolizing your kids, we don't get it, we don't understand it. Their culture was much different. Children were the nobodies, children were the ones you kicked to the curb, children were the ones that weren't important. And you can understand why in, in the cultural setting. In, in societies that are very poor, they live a hand-to-mouth existence, they're living day by day with a lot of infant mortality, with a lot of child death, you weren't certain that your child would be with you very long, and so you had a lot of children, and, and a lot of them died very early, and so you didn't get attached to a child, you didn't make a big deal about a child until they reached a certain age. Some cultures didn't even, don't even name children until they're, they're years old. <laughs> They're nobodies, in a sense, because in a hand-to-mouth existence where people are starving all the time, uh, they can't contribute to the bottom line. They can't produce. Adults are, are seen as higher in, in some cultures, even today, because they produce. They put food on the table, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of reasons. But Jesus is saying, hey, look at this child. That you know He's in Simon and Andrew's house, and he pulls this child. There's probably a bunch of children running around. We don't know if, if Peter and his wife had uh, children or not, but maybe the extended family, there's children there. Remember, Peter had a mother-in-law, so that means he had a wife. Probably had babies. The first pope, but well, I won't go there. Um, <clears throat> so we we have here this 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 picture of him grabbing a child, and he's pulling the child to him, and he's saying, "Look at this child! Here's a nobody." And the cultural lies, but what does Jesus do? He embraces the child. Could be a girl, could be a boy. Uh, the ESV translates that word "him." He embraces the child. It wasn't Jesus great as he came into the first century. He exalted the status of children. He made them important on, on a kingdom level. He says, look at this child, man. This is a nobody. This is, this is a non-entity in so many people's minds. They kick him to the curb. They abuse him. They use him for their own ends and their own means, but not so you. And so there, there's a couple of ways to interpret this. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. <clears throat> Now, it's a lesson on discipleship, right? So, is he saying to the people, is he saying to the 12 that's standing around him as he's teaching, is he saying, I want you to become like this child. I want you to become a nobody. I want you to become a non-entity in the eyes of the world. I want you to become unimportant. Get rid of your pride. Get rid of your arrogance. Get rid of who you are. You don't have a resume anymore. You don't have a, a pride before people anymore. I want to, I'm sending you out as a child. And if people receive you, they're really receiving me. If they, if they receive you, they're really receiving the Father. That's one way to interpret that. I, I guess as I've studied that, and there's, there's good good interpreters out there, good, good uh uh, pastors out there that interpret that way, I, I kind of go another way when I when I try to understand this. And, and what, what is he saying to the disciples? He brings the nobody before him. He brings a child before them, and he says, "Man, you want to be great? I want you to receive the nobodies. I want you to welcome and serve people just like this. I want you to take them into your into your life, and, and in my name." Love them, seek their benefit, seek their blessing, these people that can 't pay you back, these people that are, are, you know won 't take you golfing, these people that won 't take you out to lunch, receive them in your life and love them and serve them and when, when, when you do that, you know what you 're really doing is serving me more than that you 're serving the Father in heaven you 're worshiping, and God sees that as great this is uh, this is supported by a, a, a parable, Jesus talking about the end of the age. If you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. Matthew 25, verse 31. Talking about uh, the judgment and what's ahead and the criteria for MVP, the, the criteria for greatness, the criteria for reward. Jesus said, uh, verse 31 of Matthew 25, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. So He did teach them at certain points that there was a messianic kingdom coming, there was a glorious kingdom coming, but not quite yet. When I do come with my angels in the Father's glory, I'm going to sit on my throne. Uh, Before me uh, will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right, the goats on his left, and the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you have did it to one of the least of these brothers, you did it to me.
0: <clears throat>
1: the greatest serves. Uh, even in the church sometimes, we, uh, we tend to look at ourselves uh, by our status, maybe by our level of maturity. Maybe we have memorized certain Bible verses. Maybe we tithe more than other people or whatever. Maybe we uh, are, are evaluating ourselves by certain criteria. Are we using the criteria of the living God on, on what great is? We need to adjust and adapt to what Jesus calls greatness. And it's a, a life of surrendering to God. It's a life of self-denial. Remember last week he said, if anybody would follow me, let him deny himself and pick up his cross and follow me. A total surrender to doing the will of God and obedience to God. Uh, if you want to be first, first in rank in the kingdom of God, make yourself last and a servant of all. Several years ago, there was a professor who spoke at a commencement exercise at Stanford University. We're coming to those, uh, the, the, you know, you're going to probably uh, attend a bunch of graduations in the coming few months here, the comm- commencement is the end of a journey. He was, uh, his name was David Kennedy, and he was a professor. He spoke at Stanford University. He was talking about the Old West. He was uh, telling the students there, there was a time in the Old West where uh, not all the trains went to every location. Not all the railway had been laid out yet, so if you, if you uh, wanted to get somewhere, you had to take a stagecoach. And stagecoach uh, lines those days, they, they typically have three fares: First class fair, second class fair, and third class fair. Uh, it seems like when I fly today, I'm always third class. That's what it feels like. Nevertheless, in the Old West, that's where it kind of started. Uh, maybe the, the luxury liners going overseas, maybe they started it. But in the Old West, they had first class, which meant if you bought a first class ticket, that guaranteed you that you'd arrive on time or your money back. If you had a first class ticket, it meant that you had all the amenities given to you. You would ride in comfort, was the advertisement. <laughs> a second class ticket, however, well, you're guaranteed that you'll arrive. <laughs> right? You might not arrive on time or you might not arrive in comfort, but you'll arrive. But if you got a second class ticket, there might be times when, you know, like there's mudslides and there's the axle brakes or something, where maybe you have to stand on the side of the road for a while and wait for another ride. Or maybe, maybe you have to just wait and be patient. And, you know, the, the, the stage coach, director, or, or conductor, he's, he's going to take care of those first class passengers. Uh, they're his priority. If you bought a third class ticket, it was stipulated that if something went wrong, you had to help out. If the stagecoach got stuck in the mud as a third-class ticket holder, you had to get out and push. If you had a third-class ticket, it means you picked up a shovel. It means you spit in your hands and you went to work. It means you carried the bags if you needed to. Third-class ticket holders. The professor said to the Stanford University graduates, you are graduating from a first-class college. You've received a first-class education. But I want to urge you to live a third-class life. Get out and make things happen. Get out and live for other people. Jesus himself said, if you want to live a first-class life, if you want to have a first-class life, you should buy a third-class ticket. Live in service to other people. How do we get there? Jesus is our example, of course. He's the one held up, emulated as as the greatest servant that has ever lived. He went to the cross to serve us. He went to the cross to die for us. He went to the cross to meet our greatest need, forgiveness of sins. He's our example, but how do we, the way we've grown up as consumers and users and takers, how do we transform, become people that serve well, I, I saw some advice, and I can't, remember, I can't remember who to credit it to, but the, the, the guy said, here's some advice on becoming a servant. Do something every day you don't want to do until you build up a habit. Do something every day where maybe you pick up someone else's trash. Maybe do something every day where you uh, carry the heavier load, even though you don't have to. Maybe maybe you call a relative that you haven't wanted to call for a long time. Or maybe you stop, you do something every day you don't want to do, where you actually have a conversation with somebody who drives you nuts. Because that's what Jesus would do in service to someone who's needy and lonely and afraid. Maybe, uh, maybe if you have grandparents that like to receive handwritten notes, maybe you sacrifice your time and you figure out how to write a letter that they that would bless them because serving means seeking their benefit and their benefit, better, betterment rather than your own. It doesn't have to be great things, but do something every day where you're putting others first. Choose to do something every day where someone else has helped or something, someone else has lifted up or someone else is treated more important than you are. And over time, that'll become a habit. And after, after a while, you won't even realize you're doing it. And maybe one day Jesus will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and enjoy your master's happiness. You're my MVP. We, uh, as a church, there's, there's several applications, but I, I won't go into it very far. As a church, how does our community look at us? Uh, do we, are, are we a people that's self-serving? Are, are we a church that has a reputation in our community of making it comfortable for ourselves, making everything about ourselves and our, our pleasures and our enjoyments? Or in this community, are we seen as a people that are here to serve in Jesus' name? It, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a radical question to ask. Uh, we're, we're in this uh, process of opening this building and getting out there in this tool that God has given us. It's not for us, is it? It's not for our, It's a tool that God has you, given to us to use for others' benefit. We imagine over the next 40, 60 years, hundreds and thousands of children running through these hallways hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We imagine divorced people being helped through their journey of suffering and strife. We imagine parents being served and blessed in Jesus' name. We imagine elderly coming together and, and being blessed by this church, serving them. Community, uh, uh, community organizations, Nonprofits being served and helped in their mission to bring betterment to people's lives in our community—it uh, just goes on and on. But the, the, the corporate culture, the corporate nature uh, of the world is, I'm doing it for myself, for my profit, for my benefit. As a church, we need to turn that upside down and say, we exist as Living Water Bible Fellowship to bring life to people, to bring to bring hope to people, to bring a different life to people. What what did Jesus? It's amazing how Jesus served and loved and gave for our benefit when he didn't have to. Now, on an individual level, again, the, the call is, where am I, how am I, am I great in the eyes of the kingdom, or am I great in the eyes of the world? I want to be great in the eyes of God. How does that look in your family? Maybe there's something right now in your family where you're, you're refusing to bow the knee. Maybe there's something in, in your marriage right now where you're refusing to serve, out of your pride or out of your anger, out of your frustration, where you need to repent. Start living like Jesus again. Maybe as you go to work tomorrow, maybe you refuse to do the menial job. Maybe you refuse to do the thing that needs to be done because you're too important or you're too proud or you're too big to do that. Maybe it's time to get small again in your own sight and serve for the betterment of others. Let us be servants. Let's be great in the eyes of God. Please stand in the Lord's presence. Lord God Almighty, we thank you for allowing us to come serve you today. We thank you for allowing us to come worship you and talk about you and sing to you and pray to you and offer to you and give our life to you again. Thank you for allowing us to come together as a a group, as a a people you redeemed to glorify you. Lord, we ask that as, as we've, we've worshiped you and honored you, Lord, that we can continue that worship and honoring and giving of ourselves in your name to others during this week. Lord, show us who it is that, that maybe, maybe, maybe we need to humble ourselves and, and see them as better than ourselves and, and get in there and, and, and serve them and, and love them in your name. Bring to mind, Lord, if, if we are living in a pattern selfishness and self-centeredness, and, and we're refusing to, to deny ourselves in, in your name, please help us to repent, help us to change, help us to become men and women who serve. And may you be praised and honored. <laughs> and may, because of our service, because of our, our work, because of our giving our life away, may the world say, you're great. May the world glorify you and honor you, because they see your servants living as you have lived and how you want us to live. Be magnified, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.
0: Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ, who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand where he sits making intercession for his people and right now he is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life, his death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.